Hey guys, how's it going? I'm uh, kind of silently in the background watching um, what we do in the shadows because that's kind of what this video is going to be a little bit about. I've got a few things uh, I've been meaning to deliver on and so uh, horror movies was definitely one of them and you might be thinking it's not a horror movie and I'll get to that. But there's another one too. I want to talk about Cabin in the Woods. So I love Cabin in the Woods. It's, I think truthfully my number one favorite horror movie not to say that it's the scariest horror movie because it's not and it's not to say that it's um, the best in in any individual way but the fact that it stands as almost a, a loving tribute slash parody of, of other horror genres but at the same time being an extremely engaging and extremely good horror movie with like a fantastic twist and believable character. It's just absolutely stellar. It comes together in a way that I really don't think any other horror movie has done. I say it's the best because it isn't the scariest and it doesn't have the, the baddest monster, although I'd probably argue it has the most diverse cast of monsters. But it has everything in a, in a sense that most horror movies suffer from having uh, some tropiness to it or, or some hang-ups and either they rely too much on jump scares or the lore is terrible or the acting is bad and it's like the B-grade one with boobs and stuff. I mean, it's just, it's hard for horror to find that place to stand seriously and as a as a film, and it actually does that. I think Cabin in the Woods is one of those films that is, is not just a horror movie, it's a great, suspenseful, scary tale. And I guess I'm going to say spoilers, it's been out a super long time, that's on you if you haven't seen it, but the ending is phenomenal, so I really w was a fan, I mean, I am a fan, so I went into it and looked, you know, six ways from Sunday, researched all this stuff, and uh, the lore is so crazy deep, considering it's just one standalone movie, and it's amazing. The, the gods that they have these rituals to appease, and the international organizations that do it. It's, it's very cool. Um, so, 100% worth watching. And if you watch it in like the middle of the day with friends or something, it's... <clears throat> it's great and you can laugh with it and, and watch it and they get a different enjoyment but if you watch it at night it really it is scary there is there is that tone that can go either way um, the monsters that are in it I mean if you just pause or you look online for shots of the bedding board and, and what's a potential outcome for these people and what's in the uh, basement cellar it's just so interesting. Uh, some of them you see, like the merman and, and uh, like the giant snake and zombies. and Some of them you don't, and they're like, the idea of them is hilarious. Or maybe there's actually a huge list of, I don't know if they're confirmed or uncredited. Or, there's just a, a long list of monsters that are supposedly in it. And there's a fun fact. I guess people probably know this because it's been out so long. But um, Left 4 Dead the Valve Amazing Game uh, with Zombies had a, a crossover promotion where Cabin in the Woods in one of their shuffling of the cells scenes you see a, a severely obese bloated zombie and that's the famous boomer from Left 4 Dead so there's just all manner of stuff in there and uh, it was fantastic I think you have uh
a really strong cast, which always, Chris Hemsworth always takes me out of it a little bit because he's almost too big to be in it, but it's great, and it's, uh, I want to say it's Joss Whedon, I think that's famous about it, but I think Joss Whedon really uh, pulled it together on that one. I saw What We Do in the Shadows um, not too long ago, actually, for the first time, and totally awestruck at the beginning from how different in in tone and humor it was than what I was expecting. I had really only seen, like, posters and I think an odd trailer and... um, What's his name? Taika Waititi, I think it is. He just absolutely nails it. This movie is so funny. It's really real when it's real, and then the vampire stuff only adds to that. Like, the real roommate conflicts that go down are funny, and it's the vampire elements that make it funnier. But it's, And then the other way around, there's vampire-specific problems that they're handling like regular people, and it's just really good comedy. Um, it <laughs> Similarly, in a certain light, a lot of it is... is kind of dark and actually is a little spooky and there's the shepherding of human victims in and a lot of the Peter stuff to begin with Peter's the big spooky skeletal one like a lot of that stuff is pretty haunting and it's all shot in this sort of um, low quality uh, journalistic footage so it's very similar to lots of horror movies that shoot that way anyway (laughs) it is a comedy but it's just um, they're really dark but the character um, Taika Waititi himself is just hilarious and, and the sense of <laughs> sort of foppish proper gentleman amidst uh, this vampire uh, dingy living situation is, is hilarious um, I enjoy the werewolves I from what I've heard, uh, there's a spin-off or a sequel coming that's uh, going to be about the werewolves. It's spelt uh, W-E apostrophe R-E, so like, we are wolves. But yeah, it's supposed to be the next step in this. There's actually um, a show I found out about recently, um, like, something like Connecticut Investigative or something of, of that nature, and that's uh, a show that's the, I don't know, spiritual successor to this movie. But, no, what we do in the shadows is great. Um, It's sort of rare to have that kind of black comedy um, the way it is. And some of the scenes are just so memorable. And, I don't know, it just really, I think it's kind of a diamond in the rough. I think it came and went really quickly and it hasn't uh, been appreciated fully. In terms of games, I mean, for once I'm actually not playing Fortnite. I'm going to switch to that now. Um... Just because, you know, <laughs> there's a new mode, and that's where I want to be at. And the new mode is the solo showdown. So, not new in terms of anything we haven't seen before, but it it's back. So it's that uh, super intensive solo mode. If you like solo, you will enjoy it, and if you don't, you won't, and that's all there is to it. Um, I find there's absolutely no difference in terms of skill or anything like that versus playing regular solo. Um, I've made some pretty hilarious kills, and um, as well, I've been killed in some pretty stupid ways. So, I mean, it doesn't always mean it's the top tier. I haven't 
uh, candidly, I will say I haven't wanted this mode, so maybe I'm not seeing what all the hype's about. Maybe it gives you, like, crazy rewards, but I do have some solo wins just never on this mode. Um, but what really upset me, actually, I was trying to figure this out the other day, is I have something like 30-odd wins in uh, uh, 50v50, and because <laughs> I take, like, personal screenshots when I win, I was just going through them, and, like, it doesn't count that mode. That doesn't count towards your squad wins, which is stupid and unfair and kind of blows my mind. But more just because I'm bitter that my number would be so much higher. But, um, yeah, so I'm going to jump into, uh, I don't know, Tilted, have some stupid rounds and uh, keep it up with you guys. I have one thing I wanted to go over in terms of uh, television, which I don't really talk about television enough. Hang on one second human needs of water. Cool. So, there's a show that I, I want to say grew up watching because it was sort of a middle school to middle school age, but I watched this show religiously, like fervently when I was a kid, and it was Avatar The Last Airbender, and the show is amazing. It's by Nickelodeon, actually, and it's what they called an American-style anime. So it looks kind of like an anime, but maybe less Japanese, a little less detail, less lines and stuff. Um, it's a story of a world divided by elements. So the earth, air, water, and fire elements are each their own respective kingdoms and peoples. And um, the show explores that world and relationship. Um, uh, another series that would come along later will actually give it like a hundred year later uh, prequel and or sorry sequel and the show itself actually has a, a couple of prequel episodes but it's super cool it's one of those shows that starts off almost for kids or with the I don't know ex target audience at least seemingly to be kids but if you endure past those first like five six episodes it is unbelievably great. It tells the story of a kid who is the Avatar. So an Avatar is the person, the only one on all of Earth, their Earth, whatever it is, Elemental, Middle Earth. There's only one Avatar. And the Avatar is someone who can master all four elements. So no other person can hold more than one element. We'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> My order of explaining it. Well... I think it'll make sense by the end of it. So, elemental control is called bending, and it lets you manipulate the element that you are born into or that you're familiar with. So, if you are in the water tribe, you are able to water bend, supposedly, like if you have the gene. Um, and that allows you to, like, manipulate water and ice and do all those things. Not all people born in that culture have the gene. It's just most, or 50-50, on a good year, provided there's no genocides and stuff. We'll get into that. Um, the gene, uh, I don't think they really explain if it's through the mom or the dad, um, kind of hereditary science behind that, but, um, essentially you only have access to bending one element and it's the element that you're culturally and geographically born into. And the avatar is so powerful because he's able to bend all four. So you manipulate fire, air, earth, and water. 
Um, the show starts with uh, the boy who is an airbender uh, awaking in the North Pole, where he, he shortly in, encounters two waterbenders who become his friends and the sort of uh, uh, second and third main character in the show. And they travel the world on their flying sky bison, which is an animal native to the airbenders, or the air nomads as they're called. Um, the His name is Aang, the Avatar. Aang's a capable uh, airbender, but unfortunately like the last one in the world, because after awaking from a hundred year cryo coma in like a block of ice, uh, he finds out that Fire Nation like performed a genocide on his people, and so he's the only one left, which is intense. I mean, as a kid, you, you, I don't know, you understand that that's obviously bad, but the gravity of that just is still uh, almost overwhelming. Korra really does a, sorry, the show, The Legend of Korra, I forgot to explain in case you have no idea, um... Legend of Korra is the show that takes place a hundred years after the conclusion of Avatar The Last Better, And uh, it, it uh, addresses obvious concerns with being the last of something and reproduction and stuff. So, anyway, book one, which is season one of the show, which was water, it concludes with Aang learning waterbending, and now he obviously knows the two. And then book two, Earth is the season two where he learns earthbending from one of the coolest characters in a show uh, that I could remember, which was Toph. So Toph is this um, blind runaway that is like a earthbending savant. So she was taught at like a super early age because she's blind by these blind um, badger moles, who are like these giant, what they sound like, who can manipulate the earth, and they taught her to do it, and that's how people originally apparently learned earthbending. It makes sense. Naturally. It's like one of those things. You meet a horse, you saddle it. You meet a badger mole, you earthbend with it. Goddamn badger moles. Goddamn. Anyway, so Toph uh, is able to use earthbending as a way to circumvent her blindness and like feel through vibrations around her and like a kind of daredevilian sensory way <clears throat> at least from like the what was it Mark Wade, Mad Fraction the really good daredevil run I have on my shelf that I'm just slightly out of eye range for so I'll get back to you on that but she eventually learns uh, how to bend metal making her <clears throat> truthfully <laughs> like the only person who's able to do that in the entire show is much as that seems kind of obvious and that nobody figured out earlier, which always kind of blew my mind, but it's also very impressive. So she, <laughs> the fifth element that she figures out herself how to do. Um, it's very cool. The show's great. Um, by book three, which is Fire, the main cast of characters have to encounter and defeat the Fire Lord who has been at the helm of the hundred-year-long war that Aang slept through, the one that started with the genocide of his people. <clears throat> so you have uh, a pretty substantial fight scene that ends it off, but the stakes are really high, and it feels very tense, because they, they're really on the clock, like they're down to the wire at that point. But season three gives you one of the best 
character redemption, character backstory building enterprises of all time in Prince Zuko. So, I hated this character. <laughs> like, when I was binge watching this show as a kid, or like watching it on Saturday morning at like 9 a.m. on, fuck, I think it's channel 25, 45, I don't know. When I was watching it, I would actively root for this guy to die. Like, this guy to get smoked by pirates or whoever, earthbenders, whatever he's fighting. Because he's just such a dick, and he's a dick to his uncle, his uncle being my favorite character. His name is General Iroh, the uncle of Prince Zuko. So, you have season one where Prince Zuko is the primary antagonist, and he's he's just hell-bent on capturing Aang, the Avatar, because it will, quote, restore his honor. And you really don't understand the meaning of that until later when it's explained that through sort of the accidental defying of his father by speaking out at a meeting, and what he spoke out against was like the needless killing of fresh military recruits. So for slighting his dad in that way, he had to duel him, and obviously was emotionally and physically not capable of dueling his father, so his dad just burned the side of his face. So after that, he banished him and said the only way you can return is if you capture the Avatar. Because when the Avatar is killed, it's reborn, as the Avatar has been for like thousands of years. So it goes in the cycle, water, earth, fire, air, so on and so forth. So... They understand that the Avatar is not dead. It's just somewhere hiding, or you know. So there's this active search for the Avatar, the one before Aang uh, was uh, Roku. Sorry, it took me a second. Avatar Roku, who's a pretty kick-ass uh, firebender, and it's cool because the show, in a way, uh, I'll get to later, really touches on, on like racism and xenophobia, and Avatar Roku is very cool because people need to understand, you know, when watching the show, that not all the Fire Nation characters are evil. But speaking of them not being evil, General Iroh is just the coolest. He's like this pudgy, lovable, wise old man. Like this sort of, I guess, kind of Buddha-ish stereotype. And he's just super pleasant. Very wise, he's very uh, jovial and courteous. And he sort of... the father parent figure or certainly the physical guardian anyway of uh, Prince Zuko and Zuko kind of at a crucial junction betrays him and breaks his heart and it sets into motion the series of events that leads to uh, <coughs> excuse me that leads to Prince Zuko switching sides so you have this character that you hate with so much passion and fury because he's, he's like trying to actively kill your, you know, the good guys. You have uh, basically a season and a half of that because by the middle of season two, I mean, they've, they've had run-ins with him. But he's not always out to kill them the same way. He's much more... Uh, well... During season two, he and Iroh are, are fugitives because his sister Azula takes over and, and she's like an eviler version of him. So he 
sort of has his resources and drive taken away from hunting the Avatar and gets new perspective. But you still have season one, he's the main villain. Gets give bad taste in your mouth. And then season two, it's what have you. But for season three, the dude changes sides and he comes and he teaches the Avatar firebending. And it's just super cool. He's way nicer than before. It's a way better character story. As somebody who is a huge fan of the Red Hood, as people know, and his um, comic resurgence in the New 52, redemption stories are fantastic with characters. It's way more fun to watch a villain try to be a good guy. So Zuko does a great job. He teaches him firebending, and he's, like, hella good at firebending. So it really is, is you know, works out pretty well for everybody. But everything, uh, I don't want to really spoil and, and sort of open all the flaps on the show. And I still think that there's a ton of value in watching it or rewatching it is more what I'm advertising here because I feel like everybody and their uncle has seen it by now. But that's only half true, actually, because I'm watching it again now with my wife, who finally was like, yeah, I want to watch that show. And uh, I'm all, oh man, fuck, it's probably the 20th, 30th time <laughs> rewatching start to finish. But. It's really cool. It's cool to go back and, uh, like, I was watching season one, the waterbending scroll, and there's this little uh, throwaway moment where Aang's, like, he pulls out a scroll or a book or something, and he's like, oh, look at these crazy lion turtles, and it's like, I don't want to get too deep into the spoiler, but lion turtles become crucial at a last season moment, so it's really worthwhile. Um, there is an episode, uh, <laughs> it's kind of been hanging around, uh, around me because we're almost at it, and it's the Tales of Bossing Say, and that was the first time I remember, like, watching a show that was not, not live action for some reason. I, there, I distinctly remember that there was, like, there's nothing real about it, it's not a real story, and it's, like, it's not a, you know, but... Tales of Bossing Say is a series of short stories, and all of them are great. All of them are really funny, and all of them are like, like could be a standalone. Like that, twenty-two minutes could just be a short film nod somewhere. But it ends. Well, I think it ends. Maybe it's not the last one. It ends with a story about um, General Iroh, and he he's going through his daily stuff, and at the end, like some things happen. It's really worth watching, but the end you realize like his day's activities was to take him to the grave of, of well not the grave of his son but like take him to a spot to reflect on the death of his son and to sort of like take a moment to think about it and, and create sort of a makeshift memorial and then he sings him a song that has been singing around the whole episode and prior and it's just it's super sad and it's actually a tribute to the voice actor of Iroh who did die in real life and that episode, I believe, was the first time it was the new voice actor. And you can tell the difference, and the new guy's great, but original Iroh, there was just something to it, and it was just, you know, as a character that I can say truthfully, <laughs> like times where that advice really stuck with me, and I really took stuff he said to heart and really felt like it was a worthwhile character to gleam some knowledge from, but... It was very hard. Even uh, I'm going to wind up having to 
probably fucking cry through it <laughs> again in the next week or two when I have to watch it again. But yeah, so Avatar: The Last Airbender, definitely check it out and persevere for through uh, the first. I'll say like five or six episodes. <laughs> Once it gets its its sea legs, it starts becoming a lot more quality. And uh, the Legend of Korra. Legend of Korra is really good. It's uh, a lot better animation, the great humor, it's darker, um, it's a really good story, but it's very detached from Avatar, so you have this sort of steampunk hundred years in the future, I don't know if it's 160 or something, I don't know, it's in the future, a couple, like two generations, so there's no war, and all the world just kind of balances itself out a little bit and all the nations live in harmony-ish and, but there's like professional bending fighting where like teams of people go up against each other and that's cool and it's that's a lot of what it's about there's this uh, character named Asami I think this like a really cute industrial um, adventuring heroine lady who uh, works at like the Howard Stark tech company <laughs> I don't entirely remember um, Sato Industries I think it's called yeah her dad invents cars or designs cars like Ford model no not even that they're really old school cars I would say the Ford Model T but I think it's even older than that but uh, you have her and you have a uh, firebender and I think an earthbender earthbender is a comic relief the show's really good I'm, I'm giving it almost a half-ass encouragement right now. It's just because Last Airbender is so fresh in my mind. But when I rewatch Korra, I'm definitely going to go all, uh, all hype on it and stuff, <laughs> as you do. But Korra's very different. There's this really cool story of Avatar Aang's grown, like now elderly son, um, Tenzin, who is like the world authority on airbending because he's like, the oldest and most senior airbender, because he has some kids, the three kids, I think, and they're all airbenders, and then, like, some shit happens later, and I really don't think I'm going to spoil it just yet, because Korra's a lot more new. People may not have necessarily all up on that yet, but some cool stuff happens, but um, characters like Tenzin are, are the few connections you have to the original story, and um, you really want to see a lot more of the characters that you unfortunately don't see a lot of, but the later seasons uh, supplement that, like um, Toph's daughter and, and things like that. But what you're never really left answered on is, is a few people, um, and you never really get to see as much of the generation that you want to see because it's what you connect with, with, with Avatar. So, you know, you want to hear more about Sokka, Guitar, and Aang often because those are the characters you recognize, but they don't, well, they don't ever fully deliver on that. <laughs> they give you enough. So I would check them out, all of the above, definitely watch it. Um, wasn't really as much of a frying up any negative beans today. I think we kept it pretty chill. So yeah, have a good one, guys, and uh, if you liked it, let me know what you want to hear more of. Otherwise, I've got a lot of stuff, I think, to catch up on, so expect more stuff.